Hey everybody, pull up a chair because today's show is sponsored by Retay Arms. Retay Arms, if you guys have not seen some of the new shotguns coming out from Retay right now, they are absolutely fantastic. They have shotguns for waterfowl, shotguns for upland, shotguns for if you're a turkey hunter, they got you covered. Shotguns for tactical purposes, home defense, uh, competition guns. I'm telling you, these that we shot them this year, and we absolutely loved them. The the waterfowl, especially uh, the 12 gauge Masamara that I shot. Couple of the things that just jump out that I really like about it: the trigger assembly, which one push of a button, the entire trigger assembly comes out for easy cleaning you guys drop it in the mud or something like that just rinse it out put out rinse it out jam it back in and then continue to go killing things the breech controls are super big so if you are going to use gloves really easy to open the bolt drop new shells in the buttons are super easy to hit on the side really big just really really well thought out firearms so i would encourage you to check those out at RetayUSA.com. We had Brian Waite, who is the Sponsorship and Brand Development Director for Retay On. If you missed that show, go back and check it out because we talked about a lot of the things that make this weapon, including the price, which makes this weapon really, really cool. So I think you guys will like it. Today's show, we have two guys on, Ryan Barton and Carlos Alberti. They form the Timber Show. If you guys don't haven't seen them yet on Instagram, really, really cool images. Timber hunters through and through. A lot of stuff in the central Arkansas area. You know where I'm talking about. Uh, but these guys just have a really, really cool story. I stumbled upon their site, and as much as I like the timber, I just started pouring through images. And so it seemed like they were – it seemed like at the, on first – blush so that they were very very similar to us and as we got to talk to them and know them a little bit better they are definitely wired like we are so die hard timber hunters um, really really cool site so without further ado give it up for our friends ryan barton and carlos alberti of the timber show on different seasons and uh, it's really interesting to hop around to the different right to the different places right so we're talking to Ryan Barton, Carlos Alberti with uh, Timber Show. If you guys do not follow the Timber Show on Instagram, you're on the wrong page because uh, I really dig you guys' content. Um, you know, I'm a timber hunter through and through. If somebody said you can only hunt one kind of thing for the rest of your life, it would be the timber. Right. And uh, you guys have a really cool page, and so – Glad you guys can join us, man. Glad you can hop on over and jump on the podcast with us. Thanks. Appreciate you having us on. Yeah. Now, Carlos is in Alabama. Right, Carlos? I'm in Alabama today. Yeah. <laughs> today. Yeah. So there will be no roll tides on this podcast because I have my purple and gold LSU shirt on. Yeah, see, we were we were both supposed to be in church tonight, so yeah, let's try right. to keep it ABC. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm still real. I'm still reeling from my uh, Pitt Panthers getting rolled over by Clemson. Oh my gosh, man! 
No kidding. Yep. Nobody was stopping Clemson this year, though. That's right. No, nobody. Nobody. Ryan, you're rocking a pretty sweet-looking tangle-free shirt. I appreciate it. Great sweatshirt, great company. Yeah, oh, we use, uh, that's. I mean, we their decoys are awesome. I wouldn't hunt with anything else in the woods. No, man. And I tell you, I, you know, I talk about it a lot, but you, you look at their gear – and everything is just so well thought out. Like you can tell that duck hunters and goose hunters make their stuff, right? Yeah, just just quality, and, and it's made well. And I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, we're we're a big um, we're a big tangle free shot. We drug, <laughs> so we drug an eighteen foot decoy trailer from South Louisiana all the way up to Kansas. I mean, uh, Canada with um, way past Kansas actually into Canada with. I don't know, 30 or 40 full dozen snows and I don't know how many dozens of their slammer socks. Have you seen their new, uh, the slammer socks, the Mallard slammer socks? I haven't seen the Mallards. I have some specs. Man, I love those things. Oh, they're great. They stay open. Oh, I know. (laughs) It's, it's, it's nice not to, you know how the, the old ones you would, you would absolutely need wind or else you couldn't hunt with them. Yeah. They'd be like a, uh, look like a, flat sock they they were (laughs) it's nice it's nice to have that new wire that just you know goes right in and keeps them up i mean it it makes a hunt yeah and those things i don't know what your experience but they will move in just a breath which is that's right totally totally we're we we are a big tangle free shop we don't uh, you know they've just been a really really good company to work with um and really supportive of um, of us and what we're doing. So, but you, uh, so you got you know Ryan, you're in Memphis, um, and so I'm really curious as to how you and Carlos hooked up to uh, kind of form this idea of the Timber Show. Well, you know what what makes duck hunting I think so interesting is the friends that you make along the way. You know, people that are strangers one morning and two years can be your best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's really how Carlos and I met. You know, I moved down here. I'd come down here for, for years to hunt the timber. Um, and Carlos has a lot more experience hunting the timber than I do. But, you know, we were, we were hunting separate holes one day. And, uh, you know, we ended up, we didn't want to shoot each other's swing birds. And we, we just wanted to... Uh, to group up hunt together and it really did spark a friendship yeah but like carlos said you were actually guiding weren't you no not when i met him i mean i was guiding in arkansas but we actually met at uh down in biomita and y'all didn't y'all weren't like fist fighting over a hole or anything no see he had a mutual friend of mine and that mutual friend knew him from the guide service so when we actually, we were in the woods and somehow we met and we decided to hunt with each other that morning and things went really, really well. Um, we killed a lot of birds and I don't, I don't know if there was, you had that bro moment, but me and Ryan had the bro moment that morning for sure. Were y'all trying to all, were y'all trying to get to the blue line? Everybody races for the blue line, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's don't... where we were. <laughs> Yeah, that's where I, was. I just uh, 
man, I sit back and watch those boat races, and I'm like. And they were worse back in the day, you know, before it was all censored. And, you know, now, I mean, there's a little bit of it, but you don't find it in the WMAs. Right. Now, when you guys hunt that, are you guys using outboards or are you running surface drives? We both have uh, outboards, me and Ryan. We have Tohatsu 25s. Nice. Um, yeah, real big down Louisiana. That's right, especially in my driveway. <laughs> that's a new relationship for us this year is Tohatsu. And um, I run their tiller hit, their 50-horsepower uh, tiller handle. Really? Um, yeah, on a 16-foot edge. Um, that's what edge I have. Out. Yeah. Man, we got the same – we got the same companies, man. We got the same uh, uh, same gear. It's awesome. But uh, I, I tell I, you, I will tell you one thing. That fifty, um, I ran forty two miles in the marsh looking for redfish uh, two weeks ago, and I did that. I still had six gallons of gas. I still had gas in a six gallon can when I got back to the to the launch. Wow, those things just Carlos, I don't know how y'all, what your experiences are, but that thing just sips gas. Oh, for sure. Like crazy. Uh, what did we do for, uh, what was that? Um, oh, my goodness. The big boat float, that flotilla and that, there in the White River. And, uh, man, we have to keep spare gas on the boat because once you start going, ours, ours suck the gas. Really? It's, yeah, I mean it's it's a three cylinder, so. Oh, okay. It sucks gas like um, unbelievably. I don't know how they did it, but the four stroke that I have, it's a fifty. It weighs two hundred and four pounds, which is nothing for a four stroke. And I see. I think our motors are closer to like the high end on three hundreds. Yeah, and, I think I'm not sure. You're right. Yeah. But I love it, man. It's been – now, let me ask something. So, running outboards, right, what are your feel? because there's a big hubbub right now about limiting the noise from surface drives in the woods, and um, I know that that kind of started in that area. What What are your feelings on um, – because they sound like dragsters, right, and you can go anywhere now with them. I mean, they're just so loud. And, you know, and, and down at Biomita now, you can't – or any WMA in, in Arkansas, you can't pass people. So, you know, if you get if you're not first in line or if you're stuck behind somebody with a mud motor, I mean, you might as well sit there, you know, a quarter turn of the throttle and you're just, you know, biding your time going down the bayou. Yeah. I definitely have a a different relationship or a different thought process on this. I mean, those things allow you to get anywhere. So, I, I definitely think that there's ways that we could um, make it a little bit better because all these guys are putting those uh, voodoo exhausts and all that stuff on there. I mean, yeah. maybe limit that, but I don't think it has anything to do with a surface drive. It's just kids being kids, you know. Um, they told us that they wanted our our motors out of the, out of the all the WMAs there for a long time. You know, they're they're outlaw motors, mm-hmm. so. I mean, I'm not to any more regulations. I don't. I don't like regulations. I'm. I'm totally against it. Roger that. 
we are definitely on the same page with that. I mean, the only problem I have with mine is it's a 50, so I can't run it in there. Absolutely. Right. Because there's, what, it's a 25-horsepower um, cutoff, right? Restriction, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's 30, 35 surface drive, but, right. you know, I mean – Ryan says that you know you get behind some of these, but some of these things are getting hot rodded. They're going forty now. Oh yeah. So I mean, I I, I could see myself buying one in a couple of years if they don't change the law on them. Yeah. Well, you know what's going to happen. You're going to buy one, and they're going to change some kind of law, and then you got something that you can't use. Yeah, and that's what I feel like. You know, a lot of these guys, you you're going to tell a guy that spent you know twelve grand on a motor, twelve grand on a boat. He's got 24K wrapped up in a rig, and then you're just going to tell him he can't use it. And not only that, you got USA companies that are putting these surface drives out. You're going you're gonna to put a USA company out of business. So I'm, I'm definitely not for regulating the surface drives. I don't like the noise. I think you can regulate the noise. They, there's a, a sound decibel you could probably go up to. And, um, well, I that's think what they were talking about, right? right. Yeah, but they well actually this year they were talking about outlawing them completely in Arkansas. Oh, okay, I got you. So uh, the noise and then regular, you know, just taking them out of the woods completely, I think are two different subjects. Now, was that just on state management areas, or was yeah, that WMAs. Like federal refuges too? Just WMAs, just state, just okay. state WMAs. Okay, because I I feel like um, on the national wildlife refuges like the one i hunt in mississippi um it doesn't i mean you can sound like a dragster if you want to there's nobody That's right. they don't they don't really they don't really care no the, the you know the federal the federal land is a whole different ball game from the state um you know another big thing you know speaking of that that they did this year in arkansas was they passed uh, a regulation um, saying that out-of-staters can only hunt certain certain days um, to get to your 35 days that you can hunt that they changed, you know, a few years back. So yeah. it's keeps so getting I'd harder and harder. I'd be SOL anyway, <laughs> right? Because I'm down here in the bottom of the boot. Oh, well. Um, now, Ryan, you had uh, what I thought was interesting is you went from one swamp to the other. <laughs> I certainly did. I certainly did. I, I definitely have my political roots. And, yeah. So uh, talk talk about what I mean by that. Well, I uh, yeah my my occupation was uh, I ran I ran I basically ran camp congressional and senatorial campaigns across the country out in Washington and uh, and Idaho, and then in the Northeast as well. And uh, I ended up on Capitol Hill. Um, I've always been at the right place at the right time to make the right connections. And I was just lucky enough in that way. And uh, so I worked on Capitol Hill and finished as a a senior advisor to a congressional member. And uh, just lucky enough to be able to kind of just chase a dream and and be able to, to really try to do something in the duck hunting world. How long ago was that? A year and a half, two years, two years, two years. Because I, I feel that politics has changed, I mean, just in the last 10 years. I mean, it is, it is a hateful game now. You know, it is. And you all, I've always heard that since I've gotten started. But, but is it really? 
Uh, I mean, because I mean, you, 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 you have access and have heard conversations that the ordinary guy isn't going to hear on the news. Right. Is it really that polarized as it appears? It isn't. I mean, don't forget, we did have a civil war in this country. So, right. you know, things in an enduring, you know, the FDR years, things were pretty bad. Um, but there was no news media then. So things are just magnified now. But I think so. You people, think it's kind of like it's always been? It's just, it, it, information is just so easily put out there. Absolutely. I think okay. that's really the main part of it. And I think people will be shocked to actually hear that a lot of these congressional members are friends. They're, they're, you know, they, they'll hang out together, they'll have drinks, right. but then when, you know, when they go to vote or spend time on the floor, it's a show. well, it's more of a political game. So I always find that to be interesting. That's what I was. I don't think people. That, that's, that's what I was thinking is, you know, you see these guys and they got to put on a show for their constituents and the people that they want to pull the lever for them. But, you know, when the cameras aren't on them, they, they're probably bellied up to the same bar. Um, you know, they're probably friends. They, they probably really don't want to kill each other. So that's what I was – I just found that, like, super interesting that you were, you were in that space for so long and probably had a really different perspective of what was actually happening there. Oh, yeah. I, I actually have some – some really good Trump stories that are not for the podcast. Oh, man. What are you talking about, Ryan? I thought you were a liberal. <laughs> <laughs> not I. Man, I was kind of waiting for some Trump stories. You knew where I was going. I, I know. my. Uh, so my boss was one of the first people to actually endorse him. Who was that, uh, by the way? Uh, Tom Marino, Central okay. Pennsylvania. He... he just just this year uh retired but uh yeah it was it was really interesting we got to spend some time with uh with the president uh with his children forged some good relationships there really um it was it was certainly an interesting time all right so now what kind of guy is he really you know what actually a lot more down to earth than you can imagine and his favorite thing to eat that he always wanted was kentucky fried chicken really loves it loves fast food well, look, I mean, he said he had, he had, how did he put that man when he had Clemson? It was, I think he had Clemson at the White House. And we have, we have many, many fries and many, many, you know, it's like they're stacked up to the ceiling. And of course right. they're going to fact check and go, no, they weren't stacked up to the ceiling. Come on guys, just lighten <laughs> I up. I know, I know. <laughs> no, they weren't stacked up to the ceiling. Big deal. So now Carlos, understand. Tell, talk a little bit about um, your background because if my notes are right, you kind of grew up in a different spot of the country too. Where is it in Illinois? Yeah, I grew up in Illinois. Um, my dad, my my parents divorced when I was young, and both of my dads um, were in the army. So um, I grew up up north, and up north you pheasant hunt. So I grew up um, with a Britney Spaniel, and right. then um, we—that was my first dog I ever had, and the first bird I ever killed was a pheasant. And <laughs> I left Illinois when I was 16 years old, 
and I moved down to Alabama uh, with my father, my real father. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was 18, I moved off to the military, uh, served in the 3rd 75th Ranger Regiment. Hoorah. It was, uh, it was interesting. Lots of stuff happened in the 04 to 08 era. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I duck hunted when I came, came to Alabama. I had a lot of high school friends that duck hunted. I wasn't really that serious into it. But after I got out, that's how I related with everything. That's, I mean, that's how I dealt with everything that happened in the military. Right. right. Is, I mean, clear my head. That's what I went and did. You prepped and you did a lot of the stuff that you would do in the military. And the, the feelings that you got were similar. So... That's how so, I really. So, think are you I've, talking about like PTSD kind of stuff, or? Yeah, and not only that, but just like the everyday. So, <laughs> I don't want to make it seem like I was a bigger deal than what I was, but in the army, when you're uh, in Ranger Battalion, you feel like a superhero, and when you get out, you just go back to being a regular every every day. Go to work, drink coffee in the morning. Joe. So <clears throat> when you got to get up early in the morning to duck hunt, you're doing the same thing in the military. You get up mm-hmm. and do PT. Mm-hmm. You have to have everything prepped. You have to have all your batteries checked, everything, like your gears, all that. Same thing in the military. And then you're going to kill things. So it, it this, and then you have your camaraderie with like people like Ryan, um, your buddies, and then your, your down to earth just talking was basically my therapy out in the woods. So that's how I, I got through life when I got back. Yeah. Now, um, I'm going to guess that given your choice of hunting scenarios, it would be the woods as well. Correct. Absolutely. That's where I started and that's where I'll die. (laughs) Yeah. Right on. There's just, there's something about man being in, you know, knee-deep water and watching mallards just break limbs to get to you. And once they get in, they just can't get out. So, you know, that goes all back to you you asking us how the Timber Show started. It all started with, like, uh, my military background because I I do see people from uh, the VA. And uh, one of the therapists that I go to, she said, write down in a little journal what it is that you love and the first thing that I went to writing down was the ducks in the woods and uh, I wrote it down and it's on our Instagram Uh, Ryan put it up uh, a couple weeks back and uh, that's really how I feel and uh, that's how it kind of got started and then with Ryan coming in to the play I told him I really wanted to start something and we we hit it all together and we've really grown it just between me and him Right, and I think we just bring so many just different, even as duck hunters, different experience. You know, I grew up hunting the Chesapeake Bay. You know, he he spent a lot of time in the timber, and I just think you know our our experience as duck hunters, um, we really complement each other, and we have I think something to offer in the duck world. Right, right. I, I tell you what, I made one trip, not a hunting trip, but a business trip, up to that Chesapeake Bay area, and I just. I love that whole scene because of the the history that you get, just the sense of 
like I think, and you and I were talking about it. You know, in the South, it's all about duck calls. Up there, it's all about decoys. Right. Right. The historical aspect of hand carved wooden decoys. Um, I lo- like I, I spent I spent a half day in the decoy museum, and dude, was, I was just like a kid in a candy store. It's that museum is unbelievable. Oh man. There was, what what's the uh, the thing that I was amazed is like the sculling boat that had like twelve barrels sticking out of it that they would use for night gunning. I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on a minute. <laughs> so dudes would just load up nails and rocks and all kind of stuff in these big barrels, push out into a big raft of canvas backs, and just go to town. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what they did. It's <laughs> crazy. I mean, you, you got to go back up there and hunt it. I mean, I, I, I think to do it right, you got to go to Haver de Grace. You got to go to one of those decoy companies there, you know, pre order a handmade decoy and hunt over it and yeah. go out in that bay and hunt over it. And it, you know, it's, 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 to me, it's just as special as, yeah. you know, going to RNT, buying a duck call and going in the woods. Right. Right. I tell you, the one thing I I got into the last several years, um, because if we're not shooting ducks, we're we're catching fish in the marsh. Down here in South Louisiana, the redfish and the trout and everything. And so I started making making my own rods. And then I started making my own fly rods. And then I started making my own flies. And there is just something super super special kind of goes along with what you just said ryan about you know your own decoy hunting over it and killing a bird that you there's something about just the perf the the poetry of a perfect fly cast that just lays the fly down in front of a fish and you strip and it's all over and you catch it on a lure that you made on a rod that you turned there's just something super super special about that and i really it's kind of what you were just talking about with the with the but you know it's special to us but back then dude there was no max prairie wings i mean you didn't like place an order to max prairie wings and wait for your plastic ducks to show up in a box right that's right i mean and can you imagine the just how much all that stuff weighed just the blocks of wood dude yeah i complain about my blind bag being too heavy because i got an extra box of shells in it or something like these dudes were hardcore. They worked yeah. their ass off to get what they had. I couldn't. I couldn't imagine running those woods by lantern. I know, right? Like no, no GPS lantern. Right, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's hardcore. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So, get it. You guys get a little bit deeper into. Uh, the timber show because i really i really dig a lot of the images that you guys put out there on instagram um what kind of what what are your what are your plans for it or what do you hope it turns into what are you trying to accomplish um talk to me about that well uh you know i think what we're really looking to accomplish is you know we're just trying to do it right. You know, we want people to see something authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
the people who put up these pictures of just killing ducks galore time after time after time, it's just, it's unrealistic. Dude, if I see the mallard pinwheel one more time, I'm going to vomit all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty overused, isn't it? Oh, gosh. But, you know. Oh, let's do it different. Let's make it with pintails. No, it's the same thing. (laughs) It's just as unoriginal as the last four that you put up. You know, the the really special part of duck hunting to us is we like to kill ducks as much as the next guy. But it really is, you know, the time spent with your close friends in the woods. You know, it's the time spent drinking that bourbon or beer around the around the campfire. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there's just something about it. And, and that's what attracts us to it. And that's kind of what we're trying to help other people understand who might be trying to get into the sport. Yeah. There's so many aspects to it too though. I mean, waking up in the morning and getting on a boat and flying to a hole and then getting there, setting your dog up on a tree stand, you're telling stories, telling jokes in the morning and then your best you know, our best caller is Drake. Um he tunes calls for R&T and when they break the treetops for him i mean i've brought countless people into the woods and that is like the moment of their life right there if they're a duck hunter because you don't see it anywhere else and that right there is the heart pounding chest pounding thing that you that you come to the woods for yeah Yeah. so you know that and we want to show like there's a juggle there's there's really a juggle uh for me you know i'm on i'm trying to go to church on sundays uh duck season yeah that that plays a big role but like you'll see me you know church of the highlands right after we get out of the woods and then i'm dog training i've got a family i got three kids you got work i'm a coach i mean you like Everybody that does this has those other things that they do, and to right. juggle it and be good at what you do is is tough. And yep. we want to show that you can, you can do that, and you know, uh, and how we're doing it basically. Yeah, what you just said is one of the reasons um, that we started a separate project that we have. You know, Passionate Pursuit is a production of Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry, which I let's say I started. Um, it was Jesus that started it, not me. Um, but Passionate Pursuit, we've got a project called Project Identity, which kind of talks about all of the things that, Carlos, you just said, um, the the places that where where the world kind of bestows this identity on us. Um, you're a father you're a husband, you perform a certain job function, you do all these different things, and the world sees you one way, but the one place where we, the two places actually, where there's that common thread is waterfowling, but even though I am a rabid duck hunter, and I love to shoot ducks all up in the face, the one place that the the three of us in particular draw our identity from is in the person of Christ. Like that, that is who, that is the common denominator, the common red thread that runs 
through us all. And so that's, that's kind of where we started that project identity. And the idea is that the world sees us one way and people know us one way. But the one thing that is that really the thing that we have in common is where we draw our identity from. And it's not from anything that the world bestows upon us or what the world sees us doing. I think that we have a common identity, but I think in today's world, it, it absolutely separates us also. Absolutely, absolutely it, does. it does. It absolutely does. One, some of the, one of the greatest things, benefits, I guess you could say, of doing the amount of traveling that we do and the amount of filming that we do is all the great relationships that, and Ryan, you touched on it, um, all the great relationships that we have been able to form all along the way. And you can't, I don't care how much you try and do it when you're deer hunting. I don't care how much you try and do it when you're duck hunting. And I think it's only really probably rivaled by something like a good dove shoot or maybe a, maybe a pheasant hunt where it doesn't, it doesn't really matter if you're, you're loud. It doesn't really matter if you, you know, you're kind of cutting up. Duck hunting is, to me, the most communal sport, right, um, that there is. And the thing about it is the reason why waterfowl ministry, for me, just made sense, number one, is because I was saved standing up next to a big cypress tree. Um, but the reason that it makes sense for me is because there's a lot of things that come out in a guy's life when you're in a duck blind or you're standing next to a tree when it's kind of slow that don't necessarily come out when the action's fast and furious, and it's definitely not going to come out if you're sitting in a tree stand by yourself. Yeah, could, couldn't agree more. Um, but so so you were, you were alluding to, you know, the, the great relationships you've built. You know, you, you all put out some really good content, um, really enjoy the pictures, really enjoy the, the video and, and the films you put out, um, you know, were you able to find people uh, to help you achieve that through these relationships? Yeah, so we've, we've been really fortunate in that we have kind of formed a network of hunters. I mean, all the way from South Louisiana, all the way up through Canada. And we, we've almost got kind of a route that, that we follow now. And every year we'll, we'll add – you know, a couple like next year, I definitely want to be able to to get in the woods with you guys. Um, this is another relationship that we're just we're kind of adding to that that network. Um, so yeah, absolutely. There's there's no way number one because the hunting in Louisiana has just sucked for so long now. Um, unless you're hunting the mouth of the river or something like that, but there's there's no way that we would be able to tell as many different kind of stories that we can tell. And that's really what we're trying to do is just tell different stories. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no way that we'd be able to tell the stories, all the different kind of stories that we tell now without the network and community of brothership or brotherhoods that we have now. I mean, if it was just me and Brian, it would just be me and Brian. And that gets, trust me, that gets really old really quick. So, yeah, to answer your question, there's this – there's no way we do it on our own. And that's that's kind of a microcosm of life and why community and unity is so important. We, we did a our episode four and five of season one 
uh, it was Giants. And in one of those, we really talked about um, the importance of, of unity. And we hunted, we were hunting giant Canadas in Kansas, right outside of Wichita with a guy named Ronnie Kondo, who they have a nucleus of guys, probably six or seven guys that they all, they, they work together. They, they scout, I mean, in a, in a three count, three to four county area in Southern Wichita or South of Wichita, they know every landowner, they know every farmer, and all they do is they just drive these roads back and forth. They follow geese when they leave the the watering holes in Wichita, and they do what they call them trafficking birds. So they stay under them, and they drive, and they drive until they find the field that they're going in. And all of them do this in different areas, and they just they cover a three- or four-county area. And when they find them, We'll get together that night at their house, and we'll put a game plan together. Roll up in the field the next uh, the next morning, decoy trailers. And the most impressive thing that I have seen is when the tailgates drop on those trailers. These guys are like SEAL Team Six. <laughs> Everybody has a job. They know what their job is. They know what the spread needs to look like. They know where the tangle-free layout blinds have to go. They know where the panel blinds have to go. Now we've worked in, they know how to set the spread up and where to put uh, our cameramen so that the camera the, the cameras are in the best position to catch the best possible footage. But the most impressive thing is the size of the spreads that they put out, how quickly they set them up, how quickly they can take them down. And it's because everybody knows their job and knows their role, and they just do it. Like, I'm in the way when I get there. I'm like, Ronnie, can I – impressive. Can I, you, you need me to – nope, we got – nope, nope. I said, okay, well, I'll just be over here then if anybody needs me. I'm the guy sitting here with his thumb up his butt. Um, but they've got it down pat. There's no way – and they are super, super, super successful. They're not a guide service. They're just a group of guys that just love doing it. A lot like you and Carlos just multiplied by five. Um, they're just super, super successful. And here's the thing. There's no way that they would be that successful on their own. Like if it was just two cats in a trailer driving around, forget it. You'd kill yourself. Right. So so if you think that if it's just me and Ryan – that that is a that is a good face for us but i mean we have the same type deal we have david cherry he's he knows the woods better than i do um you got drake you got jake edmondson you got jeremy hale in the north and then you got keaton kenny and dalton elliott that run with us and what we do is me or me me david or um Drake will be in the lead boat, our lead boat. And then we always have to have a guy holding the GPS telling the guy where to turn. Because if you make the wrong turn, oh, yeah. you, lo- you lose your hunt in the yep, woods. Yep. So <clears throat> to say that we do it by ourselves, I mean, it's a joint operation. We, get, we have a guy that's pulling behind us, r- rolling a little bit slower so we can get there. If we do make a wrong turn, hopefully we can correct ourselves. There's there's a lot of stuff, and then right. you you guys got the the boat with the decoys, and you're running flat on one boat. So I mean, 
we have a team of guys that help us out and we're we're definitely not the guys that just go in there and just we're we're some magical wizards and we kill ducks by ourselves because we definitely have our team yeah and and that's just that's important um like i said it's kind of an example of just how uh we need to perceive our brothers and sisters in christ uh, because we can't, this is, look, I draw strength from the guys that I surround myself with, like Brian and Lee Green and our field pastors, you know, Matt Robertson and Neil Watson and those guys. And they do the same. They draw, it's just, it, it, Psalm 1 is a, is, a, is a great, you know, guys listening to the podcast or whatever, look it up whenever you want or whatever. Um, but it just talks about, you know, you you are so influenced by the people you're around, and it's just so good when you're surrounded with people that have either been there, done that, and can help you avoid some of the pitfalls, or out of love, saying, "Hey, man, you know what? You're really acting like an ass. What's what's the what's the deal?" Um, so when you have those guys around you, they just keep you kind of grounded, and there's no way that you get through uh, this life on on your own you need those guys around you to help you. Yeah. Um, so I'm really, I've really got some good stories when God's just worked in my life. And I think that Ryan's definitely one of those stories for me because Ryan brings out like the best of me. I'd hate to make it like he's my girlfriend or my wife or anything, but, um, I got injured in the military and I had emergency surgery and I was on convalescent leave when I met my wife. And that was definitely God's plan. And me and Ryan meeting in those woods that day, were, I, I would never have started the Timber Show by myself if it wasn't for Ryan. I definitely think that, think that God puts people in our lives to get everything that he can out of us. And Ryan's definitely one of those people that uh, God put in my life to get the best out of me to where we can reach more people. And... Um, the one thing that the Timber Show has done for us just through social media, um, Ryan will tell you, uh, we get invited to hunts probably every day of the week. Um, so we're getting to reach people that we would have never been able to reach before. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that is, I think that's what God's plan was for us. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but that, that, and that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the way I want to. It's just every Look time I go back and, and we, we tell tonning stories and we talk about our experiences, it just, you know, it almost humbles you to think how lucky are we to be able to do this in different places when so many people can't um, or don't have the means to. And, you know, I just sometimes I do get caught up in what's going on. But, you know, there I always have to take a step back and just and just think how lucky are we to be able to do this? Yeah. Oh, I've I've felt that several times. I mean, one of the things that uh, one of the things that Brian, you asked me before we uh, before we got everything kicked off is how Brian and I met. You know, mm-hmm. how did we come to connect in this whole? So what's what's funny is uh, I made that decision. I was a I was I guess a religious person all my life, so I kind of did the things that religious people do. I, I joke and say I was a CEO. I was a Christmas and Easter only guy. So, um, 
So I did that, but I never really, I never really, I would say, heard a clear gospel message about it's not what you do, it's what's already been done for you, right? Um, and so I made my faith my own on December 11th of 2010, and I had my, you know, I'll save you the, I'll save you all the dirty details, but I, I had my revelation outdoors, and I said, wow, you know, if it took God used waterfalling to draw me to him there's got to be some other guys that because I, I was on fire man like I just I couldn't it's like somebody turned a light on and I just couldn't read enough I couldn't consume enough scripture and I'm like man it's right here in black and white how could I be so stupid and it's because I never opened the book that's that's how it's not going to read itself to you um and so I made that decision about the, you know, about that time, and decided that I wanted to do something like we see things. The three of us see things, and and everybody see, but we see things that ordinary people don't get to see. Right, and I think, I think what it is is we were all created from the very from Adam, the very first person. We were created in the image of a creator that created wild, wild things. Like, you know, when he created this thing and populated it with animals, this was a wild place, right? I mean, there was no, there was no Starbucks. There was, you know, there's, and and so if he loves the, and he called it good, right? He called it good. And all through creation, you see this kind of this this crescendo that ends with his his grand creation, which is mankind, and he calls it good. He looked at it and he said, "That's good." And so, we were created. Scripture says we we are created in in His image. We are created with that same heart that longs for the the wild places and in adventure and hunt and just the the wild nature that we were created with that I think throughout time that just kind of gets buried a lot to where you really you almost kind of forget forget what your purpose is here and we are reminded of that when we're standing up next to a tree right before shooting light decoys are set you hear the wings over your head. You know what's getting ready to happen because you can hear that hen quacking over you, right? You, you know what's getting ready to happen. And then you look up and you see, you can see the Milky Way because, like, where we are, there's no light pollution. You can see it. And that's guys that grow up in the city. They can't see any of that. But we see it. And you know you look up at that and you go, now how does a creator that put all of that in place that knows where every single star is and he calls it by name how does he know or care that i am even here right now and he loves me more than any of that how is that even that just that blew that blew my mind and then you read psalm 8 3 and 4 and it basically says that thing you know when i consider the works of your fingers the moon and stars that you have put in place what is man that you even are aware that he's here and I'm like, I don't know who wrote that, but he's a duck hunter <laughs> because he's seen the same thing, right? Um, and so what's funny is I kind of came to that realization about the same time as Brian Dryden did, but we didn't know each other. 
And so I was like, man, if we could just, if we could put some stuff on video and, and talk and just kind of wrap some biblical truth into it, like, I don't want to beat anybody in the head with a Bible, but I just, dude, just think for a couple of seconds about why you're really here in this place right now with your left foot where your left foot is and your right foot where your right foot is. Do you really think that that's a coincidence that you're here and, and God is putting on this show for you every morning? No, it's not. Um, I don't want to beat anybody in the head with a Bible, although that's what I think is needed. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I just want people to think and realize on their own. Because that's how that's what happened to me. I mean, nobody was sitting there reading it to me, and going, "Look, dude, it's right here in black and white. Why don't you get it?" Because if they would have done that to me, I'd have been gone. I don't want to hear it. Um, and so, uh, you know, we kind of fumbled around trying to video different things and trying to hold a camera while you call, and it's it was a, you know, I mean, it's a it's, goat rope. It's it's quite a process. <laughs> it is a goat rope. I'll save the military term. Carlos knows which one I'm talking. It was a Charlie Foxtrot um, of epic proportions. And what's funny is my wife was on Facebook because she's just a Facebook troll. I mean, she's just – nothing happens on Facebook that she doesn't know about. But she came across this page where this guy was starting an outdoor film production company. He lived in Baton Rouge. And on the bottom of his website – it had Genesis 27.3, which is grab your bow, go out and hunt wild game for me, right? It's Isaac talking to Esau. And so she was like, well, he must be a Christian, so maybe you just ought to call him. And so I did. I called him, and, uh, you know, we talked for probably five minutes about the project that I had in mind and the next hour and 25 minutes about just how is how awesome – is God. How awesome is it that he had all of this stuff planned out? Like he had planned out for the three of us to connect at this time in this place, before the foundations of the world. He had this whole thing planned out. And so we just we got together and we started filming and he's um he has a talent that I can I can take no credit for any of the images or any of the nothing that is all brian um but he has a and he was really looking for a way to use his talent behind a camera as a ministry and that happened literally just a week apart and so we didn't know each other until then um it's been gosh i guess it's been six or seven years now uh almost eight that we've been doing this and so through passionate pursuit and through a lot of the images and video and stuff like that we have been, the whole goal of all of it is to be in front of other men and relate and relay our experiences to those men and say look here's the here's the truth i didn't write it don't be mad at me i didn't write it bro but here's what the book says all right the bottom line, and I so we I will speak in front of men's groups and churches and wild game dinners all over the place, and that was the whole goal is just to, because you know how duck hunters are, man. They'll sit there and watch duck hunting videos for, yeah, you know, hours, days. Yeah. yeah, but if I say I'm going to preach to you, 
preach to you for an hour, they're going to turn me off after, you know, 45 seconds. Right. But I knew if we can get good content and weave some biblical truths in there that have something to do about the experience, because no matter what happened, whether you pulled the trigger or not, something happened there that points to God if you look for it. Mm-hmm. And so it's our job to say, what happened? Here's what we know about Scripture. And, oh, man, look, you know, like that whole Psalm 8, 3, and 4 verse, I mean, that's that's exactly what we were looking at and, and just tying those things together just to get guys to think. So that's kind of a very, very long-winded explanation of how we met, why we met, and why we do what we do. So uh, I mean, uh, you know, I, I always – try to sit back and think about it but the signs are just all around us but we're so involved in our own lives on a daily basis that we're blinded by it and we yeah. don't see it you know it, it it reminds me and i'll use the shortened version of the story of the guy sitting on his roof in a flood you know a boat he prays to god <laughs> and says hey you know i can you please spare my life a boat comes by he said nope i prayed uh he's gonna save me he goes on. A helicopter comes. He said, nope, I prayed God's going to save me. The guy dies. He's at the pearly gates. He said, God, I, I prayed that you would spare me. You know, Why did you not? He said, well, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. Right. You know, I, you I just think that the signs are all around us all the time. Yeah, I think, a, I don't know, Carlos, how you feel about this, but I think a lot of people nowadays are just too smart to believe in that hocus-pocus Right, like, oh, yeah. you're one of those. Yeah, I mean, you get that. I mean, that's, <laughs> I think that's the 98% of the unbelievers. But you have your religious folks that come out there with you, and they'll do the walk. They even talk a little bit. But you, <laughs> I think that when God puts it on your heart to talk to people, he puts it on your heart to talk to people um, and really make an impact um when i got back home me and my wife were going to this uh church at central baptist in decatur alabama but we had been going to church for four years together uh before then and uh we got to church and i was doing the thing i was going to church i was you know wearing my dockers and my polo and looking good and you know i was a good dad a good husband but i was not saved and i went through ptsd and i drank and how I first, how I think I first dealt with PTSD is I worked like unbelievable hours. I'd work 90 to 100 hours a week. My job allowed me to do it. Yeah. So I, was, I would go out there and work as much as I could. And um, I met this older gentleman. His name is Mike Murphy. And uh, he asked me one day, he was like, I heard you duck hunt. Would you like to go with me? And you know, I could tell he was different. Yep, yep. And uh, I was always trying to figure out what that difference was because I was always attracted to it. But I didn't. he didn't ever come out and say, you know, you need to be doing this, you don't need to be doing that. Right. And that was exactly the guy, kind of guy I needed to meet. Right. Be- because when, when God did come to me and say, hey, and he just like opened my eyes. That was the one person that I went to and started asking questions. And uh, like I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I was a, I was a, I was a wreck too. Yeah. yeah. Right before I got saved, and 
I did some things that were shameful, to say the least, between the drinking and the cheating and the running around um, on my own wife. My wife showed me the love of Jesus, and then, then I had these friends that just, these two friends that stood out were Mike and a guy named Tim Garland. And one of them was a duck hunter, and that was Mike Murphy. And I went on my first, like, mallard slaughter with Mike Murphy. <laughs> and um, we'd go fishing, and we were talking about life in general. But, like, God will put these people in your life that will lead you to him. If, Like Ryan said, you know, that little story, it's just hilarious. Because God was trying to get yeah, through yeah. to me the whole time. And it's just, all right, well, I was always trying to do my plan, not his plan. And then when you just sit down and say, all right, I'm going to give it all to you. You show me what you want to do. And once I did that, I mean, that's where I am right now is I'm, this is his plan. The, the work in making 140 to $160,000 was my plan. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm fixing to open up a dog kennel. And we're, we're, yeah, so I, I've, I'm actually in the process of opening uh, timber oak kennels. Uh, I bought, I'm in the process of buying old Dixie kennels here up in North Alabama. Oh, cool. And uh, this is definitely one of those things that is a God plan. Um, I had tried, you know, I made that big money, sent a couple dogs off to some pro trainers, didn't get what I wanted, and I, I finally started seeing the light of I, I i need to try to do this myself right right and i, I ended up training uh a black live and he's just phenomenal and i just <laughs> you can ask ryan i'm i'm obsessed over dogs oh i know that i was for a long time too believe me i was i was that guy so yeah you talk i just i never had the money to send a dog off to get trained i just so I was the guy with the blue book called Water Dog. Oh yeah, Rich Walters. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Dude, let me tell you what. I I don't know how many of my dogs would have placed, but I just I always had you know, dogs that were always under control. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to hunt with that guy that can't control his dog. And he's always mm-hmm. whistling and yelling at him when there's birds trying to set up and work and it's just like it's a train wreck. It's a complete train wreck. Um, so I was that guy with water dog out there. And it worked, man. <laughs> it did. Oh, yeah. I mean, I used, to have, my, I used to have my wife throw ducks for me. Wow. How'd you it, pull that off? Give dude, me some tips. I said used to. That's when we, <laughs> that's when we were first, uh, first married and, you know, Lots of stuff has changed, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean, heck, I, I, part of the uh, drive to start the timber show, and every husband will relate to this, is so I can call hunting work. <laughs> well, you just oh, blew gosh. that. I know, right? You don't yeah. say that on the air. <laughs> you ruined. You just ruined it for all of us, Ryan. I'm gonna have to pull that Great. out of the post, I guess. Yeah, yes, you can please, edit that out, right? Please. So what? Where are you in the in the uh, in the kennel process? Because that's 
That's super interesting. Well, he has a running business right now, and there's a head trainer, so I'm not going to be going into it thinking that I know everything. Right, um, right. He's got a head trainer. As soon as my house sells, because <laughs> I just went through the Dave Ramsey process at uh, our Wednesday night uh, Oh, good, class. man. So I don't want to get over my head. I don't want two mortgages. Um, the dog kennel basically pays for that mortgage. So I thought, if, you know, if I'm going to have a house, let's let's get it paid for. Right. So that was another God's plan. Um, but as soon as this house sells, I'll be finalizing on, on that place. We're going to be moving. And uh, that's what my wife asked me. She, you know, she is teaching at the, the high school that she graduated from. And she prayed and prayed and prayed about it. And that's where she's at. Well, it's 40 minutes away from this kennel. And I told her I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. That's where I need to be at. So she's going to be driving to work um, every day, yeah, about yeah. 40 minutes one way. So it's going to be, uh, it, like like I said before, you got I've got dogs, family, work, and then I coach. And the coaching is about three nights a week. Um, I teach or I coach 12 and under softball. Uh-huh. We're very competitive. Uh, we're going to be looking to go to the World Series this year. Um, Roger that. We've been; those girls have been together since they're five. So oh, that's a wow. that's that's pretty important in our life right now. Is is little little girls softball too? So <clears throat> it, trying to find a balance is is a struggle. Yeah. Now you said you got three kids. I have three kids. I have a two year old uh, son. That shares a birthday with myself and Ryan's son. Oh, goodness. And then uh, I've got a three-year-old or a four-year-old daughter and then an 11-year-old daughter. All right. Now, Ryan, you've got one, right? Yeah, I, I just got one. And, you know, you, I, I really do like hearing all these stories about, um, you know, how you all were saved. And to be honest with you, you know, I wish I had something where I could say that it's a great story of where I was saved. I was, I was not in the woods. I wasn't hunting. Um, I was actually holding my wife's hand um, during a sonogram. And when I heard my son's first oh, heartbeat man. ever, yeah. I mean, that's honestly where I could say that I right was on. saved. Right on. Yeah, man, kids. So, uh, you know, the, the, the time and place that I was saved is not nearly as significant as what led up to it. Because uh, my wife was, I have three daughters, <laughs> so sympathy wow. is welcome. Yeah. Did you at um, least have male male dogs? I did. Okay. I'm the only one. Me and a cat, dude, are the only males in on my two acre compound. That's it. Wow. <laughs> I feel so sorry for you, bro. Oh, dude, you have, you have no, no idea. idea. I just so. 19, 17, and 13 years old daughters. With a Still wife. in the thick of it. Yeah. And so they will start, um, one will, one will start arguing with the other one, and then one will jump in, and it's just this, this ever rising crescendo cacophony of femaleness, right? And the, I, you can look, and the cat is, my male cat is standing by the back door going, like, dude. <laughs> Yeah, let's go. Let's go outside, man. Let's get out of here. But the so what you said, Ryan, about the hearing your son's heartbeat. Um, I was much more dense in the head than that. 
so my wife was saved before me, and she would go through uh, the Awana verses with uh, my daughters. And, I, you know, I, when she would go to Bible study, I, like I would tell my, you know, my daughters that, you know, it's all fake, it's all, you know, stories, and I'd make fun of my wife going to, to Bible study. And, I, oh, I was a, I was a peach. You know, um, but I remember walking by the table one night and I remember the verse specifically. This was around November of uh, 2010. And so I remember the verse specifically. It was First uh, Peter 3, 1, when it says wives. I think she I don't think she was supposed to read this one. I think she read that because she knew I was listening. You got to watch them, man. They're slick. Yeah, um, it said it said wives, if um your husbands may be one without a word. Um, they may be one to the word without a word when they see your just and pure conduct. And so I started thinking, and, and it just, it, it, I'm not one of these guys that think that God speaks to you in this audible, you know, like he's in, like we're in each other's ears, but there is no doubt that he communicates to you through your thoughts and through your subconscious which is exactly what he did to me. And he said, you know what? She's doing your job. Now, I called you to be the leader of this house, this home, and this family, and you really suck at it. And so, you know, I went to, uh, I went to Bible study with her a couple, of, uh, a couple of weeks after that. Actually, not with her. Um, our pastor that we still go to study with now was um, they used a building. It's a community a career college with my my in-laws run family runs and they were using that building for bible study on the evenings my wife and my mother-in-law couldn't go she said can you let pastor greg in the building well it's like 20 minutes here and 20 minutes back home I'm like yeah i'll let him in and so rather than going home i just said you know i think i'll stick around and see what this cat needs to you know hear what he has to say and for the i heard the gospel for the first time like i i'm sure that it had been Someone had tried to communicate it to me at some point, but I heard it the first time. And and I still say what he said. I When I stand up and, and talk to a group of guys uh, at a function or a wild game dinner or whatever, you know, it, it hits you that that might be their aha moment, right? And so it's up to me. So I will give them the gospel in under two minutes, and say here's and I'm going to I'm going to bring I bring them to a crossroads and say you have to make up your mind whether you believe what I'm telling you is true or not because that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter how often you're in church, if you go every Sunday, if you miss, if you got the polos on or if you don't have the polos on, if you got khakis on or not. All of that crap doesn't matter. What matters is do you believe what I'm about to tell you? And I give them the whole gospel. Man was created perfect, but it didn't take long. A matter of fact, around Genesis 3, and we screwed that up. And God said, you know what? You've lost the opportunity to come to me, but stay where you are. I've got a better plan. I'll come to you. And he did that through Jesus. And Jesus, who lived a sinless life, was was nailed to a cross, died, and was buried, and took on in three hours the entire sins of the world, past, present, and future, died, was buried, and rose so that we who believe can rise and spend eternity with him in glory. Now, do you believe that? That's what I ask him. 
Do you believe that, yes or no? Because the way you answer that question has some serious repercussions to it. Um, and there's no religion in that. That is John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Um, that's, that's it. It's that simple. And so the, 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 the pastor gave that message, that simple message, and I believed it. Uh, and, and so it was through my disbelief and through just what a wretched person I had become, maybe not by the world standards. By the world standards, I was probably, you know, I was going with the, here's what I figured out. You ready for this? Is that when you are living that life, everything is very comfortable because you are doing exactly what the enemy wants you to do. It's very, very comfortable in that season of your life because you're playing by his script. He has no reason to oppose you whatsoever because you are doing exactly what he wants you to do. And so anybody that thinks that becoming a Christian and as, look, Luke 9.23 says, if anybody would come after me, let him pick up his cross daily and follow me. If anybody thinks that that's easy, you think you're a big tough guy and you know you're too much of a man to to follow this Jesus guy really give it a I, shot Joey I think like that tough guy attitude I, we were in South Arkansas um towards the end of the season and you know we were all talking and that was I was sharing the ABCs of how to uh get saved and some guy said you know well I don't think God's going to punish me for for just being a, I'm a good guy. And, and that's what I told him. I said, it says in John 14, six, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the cross. No one comes to the father except through me. Roger that. And that was through the cross. You know, Jesus died for our sins and the ABCs. I, I always go over, over the, those. Cause that's my easiest way. I can always remember it. You know, you admit you've sinned. And then you believe in Jesus, and then you confess publicly. Mm-hmm. And then once they they feel like, because I always tend to hear that one thing that'll click on where I can spark a debate. And then once they get engaged me, and then the, that that's the easiest part for me is once they start to engage me with their they have no knowledge of of God. They have no God, no knowledge of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So once they engage me in that uneducated mind, I just start throwing them out scripture. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the easiest way to combat it for me. I don't really go out looking for it, but once somebody starts to combat and if we're sitting there talking about it and then somebody throws out something, you know, cuz it's really they just they're just so unsure. Right. Well, and they're so worried too about what their friends are going to think too. Right. Like I, you know, I, I just that was kind of my thing. You know, well, I'm going to lose all my friends. Well, guess what? I had the wrong kind of friends. Or, or, or the thing is, well, you know, I believe I believe in God. Well, you know, what, what does Scripture say? Yeah, the demons believe in God. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think I think that you got to realize that Jesus is real. God's real. But the devil is real. <laughs> yeah, you know what I you know what I told, um, and I don't remember who it was, but uh, it, it, 
I, I'm always trying to figure out like what's that barrier to entry? Like, what are you really afraid of? Um, you know, because there's a chance, there's a chance that I could be wrong, right? I mean, let's just say, yeah, there, there's a chance that all this isn't. And so in which case, if you spend your life, um, you know, as, as Jesus said, love, love your neighbor as thyself. Well, and you, and, and you die and find out that I was wrong. Okay. Well, then the worst thing that can happen is you were a really, really good person when you were here. But I might be right. What if, what if you are right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if, if what I'm if you right, are right? Then, you know, and, and guys will say, well, I'm going to take my chances with that, without the Bible. Well, you know what? With that, that book right there, you don't really have much of a chance. You know, and I, I like to put people on. Uh, the, there's a movie that just came out. It was a book. Uh, a guy that I was really close to, like I told you, Tim Garland, he told me to read The Case for Christ. Yeah, and the a mu- the movie just came out recently. Oh, I remember that. It's yeah. really really good. So if you ever have somebody questioning or is like a like they think that they know all the facts, I think that's a great movie because you can tell them everything you want to, but when the facts come down, I mean, there's guys, the smartest people in the world have set out to prove the Bible wrong, right? And nobody's done it yet. Nobody's been able to do it. Well, and you know what's interesting is I, I think before the Jews repopulated Israel in 1949, so if you had to read, if you were a student of Scripture before then, you would look at that and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. For this to all be true, the Jews have to repopulate a land that they have been absent from for 500 years. It is a virtual impossibility for the Jews to repopulate Israel. So for this to be true, that means the Jews only not only have to repopulate Israel, they have to be their own country. And, man, like I can see, before 1949, you read this, you're like, yeah, but, bro, I mean, look at this thing about Israel. There's no way that's, well, it happened. And if you look at, I, I just... So we're studying, uh, we're going back and forth right now between Daniel and Revelation and, and, and just different things, looking at different. I always find it interesting to compare and contrast what Scripture has to say and what's going on now, which is a podcast for a whole different time. Um, but if you look at when the United States was at its, you know, let's just organically say it's best, right? As far as morality goes, and because you look at it now, <laughs> um, but as far as where we were, and you look at God's promise to Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. That's he. That was like straight up his his promise. We were, I think, as blessed as a nation could be when we fulfilled what I think was our biggest role in this whole, you know, landscape of, of Scripture, and that was paving the way for, for the Jews to repopulate Israel. Because, look, without us, without the United States, that doesn't happen. And I think that that was our biggest... And, it, and you look at how much we have slid since then to where... This place is, the United States is, 
you know, I hate to say it, but we're like we are right now arguing whether you can kill a child outside of a mother's womb. What? That's where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Wretched. Wretched. But, you know, the good news is, in the end, we win. <laughs> oh. Yeah, You read the book, we win. So. <laughs> That's right. I mean, just the, the more people, you know, like us and the more people we can educate, you know, even if it's just one person. Yeah. It just makes a difference. Yeah. How was uh, switching gears? How was y'all's season this last year? Probably the toughest season of my life and just a grind. It, everything about it was tough, a grind. You know, it's it it really was what what being a waterfowler is all about. And you know, I just it, it was tough. Yeah. I'm glad to hear somebody else had the same experience that we did. It really was. I mean, there were some times that in the morning it would take us an hour and a half, two hours to just get to the place that we were going. Oh, why is that? Just because you want, we wanted to separate ourselves oh, yeah. and, and get to the, the parts where nobody else was. I mean, so in Arkansas this year, we had as much water as we've had in the past four years. So, and then you had the duck, the duck issue. Mm-hmm. If you found them, you killed them. So the more work that we, like I told you, the team that we have, um, we all and, and, look. and the duck issue being uh, there weren't any. <laughs> lack of. You're right. The lack of ducks. Word up. And, and however, we, me and Ryan debate this all the time on the phone. We're we're on the phone all the time together. Um, whatever reason that is. I mean, they just weren't here, and uh, you just had to do. You had to put in a lot, a lot of work, and uh, I think it, it it'll all turn out for the best for later on. I mean, we found so many holes that we would have never found if we weren't looking for them that hard. So, yeah, it'll just make funny? us better uh, later. Because I I I can tell you, hunting in the uh, the timber that. I haven't hunted in a couple of years. Matter of fact, our very first episode is filmed in the hole that I'm going to tell you about. Um, and so the guys listening to the podcast, I'm not going to say where it is, so don't, don't anybody freak out. Um, but it's it's public ground, and it is a 1.7-mile walk in and a 1.7-mile walk out. Now, you're not walking in the slough in the water. It's kind of dry ground. You kind of walk in the bank. But it's a haul, dude. Um, and I I do that for that very reason. Like, I want to get away from people. Is that um, why you, you used to run those inflatables? Yeah. 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 I, like, legit. Cause I, I figured. With with those, um, those were the, uh, the Cherokee sports, and we, we worked with those guys for a long time. Brett and those guys are just great guys. Um we worked with uh, – when you get a mile and a half in the woods and you can have a spread of 60 to 70 decoys and you don't have to pack those, it makes a big difference. Absolutely. But we would um, we would find the spots that just nobody else wanted to, wanted to get to, wanted to put the effort into getting to. 
and literally like we would and brian especially i mean he's carrying 100 pounds of gear mm-hmm. filming gear and so we'd get to the spot and we'd get there early and just strip i mean like literally it looked like magic mike dude. <laughs> just <laughs> guys in their underwear steaming because it's just it is just a grind but um i don't even know what the heck was i talking about why how did i get on that carlos magic was saying mike. something about I'm just trying to get over you admitting to actually seeing Magic Mike. I didn't see it. I mean, I kind of knew what it was about. <laughs> yeah, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Um, no, but it, it's just putting the, the 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 work in and finding that because I'm a big. I don't know how you guys are, but I was always a big, big, big guy in scouting. Oh, I know what it was. Oh, yeah. I I, rem- I remember what it was. So you have success in one place or a couple of places, and you never go find and discover those new little spots, those new little gems. That's what I was going to tell you. And until you really have to, and you're like, man, this spot's been here forever. But it's hard to – it's like when I was fishing tournaments, fishing redfish tournaments. You never leave fish to go find fish. Well, you never leave ducks to go find ducks, right? That's right. So it's – you have those little spots that just – they were always there. But necessity never drove you to go find them Mm -hmm. until you have years like y'all had. Just like you were talking about, preparation is everything, right? I mean, scouting is everything. And I always like to use the quote, you know, it wasn't wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Right. (laughs) So, you know, I I mean, the the hours that you have to just put in to find ducks is... A plan A, a plan B, a plan C. You know, if you pull up in the hole and you see headlights... I don't where now, right? That's right. That's exactly right. Because I, I, I've driven around by me one time um, after the season. There's like a week or two-week window where you can still run a boat in there after the season before they start letting water out. Um, and I drove around the blue line, right? And I drove around the south end, and I've never seen so many ducks in my life. Um, that place is amazing, but – Dude, I just I, I I don't know. Maybe it's just me now that I'm older. The 4 a.m. boat race just doesn't appeal to me. Like I guess it does other guys. Well, I mean, if 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 you end up coming to Biomita with us, uh, we it'll probably be similar to a Mexican kidnapping. We're gonna have to blindfold you, <laughs> hey, put dude, you in I the back care. of the boat. <laughs> I will leave my GPS at home. I promise you. Um, but is that kind of everybody tries to race to the blue line? Is that still a thing? I mean, there's no. good holes everywhere. Just just a matter of fact, where the what block of woods the ducks are using. Carlos, do they move around that much in there? I mean, absolutely. So you could be in upper one day, and you have your spots in upper that you like to go to, and the next day they're in lower. You hear those banging in the woods in lower while you're up in upper. You the next day you go down to lower. And then you, you're in lower and you hear them in government. So you go to government and then you finally get on them. I've always heard like like these guides and stuff to say that they always have like three to four days that are really good. Like in timber hunting, there's going to be a couple holes that really just produce. Mm-hmm. Like they're big, solid holes. You can go in there and you can kill, you know, seven or eight ducks no matter what. But... 
you're really trying to find those mondo wads where you're trying to yeah log runners and um we're that's what we try to do we bounce on we bounce across ideas left and right like all right we saw we were in this block of woods we saw them flying a little bit north but they were working right these right. block this block of woods so we'll right. just head where they're going just like anybody would do scouting yeah that that knowing the terrain i guess that's the biggest thing about where i hunted in the mississippi delta is we could be working birds and they pitch down on another place over the refuge that we hunted and i knew kind of two holes that were over there like they could either be in this one or in this one um but they're working over here so that's probably that slough that comes around the bend and it gets deep so you gotta you gotta know the you gotta know the terrain uh hey you said something you said mondo so i want to ask you about calls Um, well i want to ask you what's behind you what calls are behind you oh so let's see So that one, that's a Havoc. Um, okay. Jeremy Powell, my buddy at Havoc, made that for me. And this is actually made out of uh, Bethlehem, uh, olive wood from Bethlehem. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's so cool. on it, yeah, on it, I have Rise, Peter, Kill, and Eat um, on, the, on the band there. You can probably see it. I can. And um, so it's, um, you know, I, I like it. It, it, it sounds good um but i like it i like to look at it more than i like to to blow it but you got so one of the other things i've heard about by meat is you, if you're not blowing a cut down don't don't even don't even consider it true or false well not it, it goes a little further than that if you're not blowing an rnt mondo right you might as well not go gotcha check <laughs> I was wondering how much of that was just like it's because what that's what they've always done, or because man, I got to tell you, we in the in the timber in Mississippi, we we don't. It's it's a very very subtle game calling wise, completely different than Arkansas. Well, I mean, I use I use my mondo in North Dakota and Canada. Yeah. And I'm I'm guessing it would work. I mean, there's no reason why it wouldn't work. But I just hear those guys like blowing the guts out of calls, and I'm like, golly, man, really? Well, I mean, you got to know when to call. Yes. And and how and how to use that call. Yes. Because you do like we'll get in those block of woods with those guys that just will not stop. Right. And then the birds, you know, we're just steadily feed chuckling, and then. You working in birds, but they just don't understand. They don't want to hear it. Yep. Sometimes those days that they don't want to, and a lot of the time, they just don't want to hear it. You just get quiet on them, give them, a, you know, get their attention, and then go low. And I mean, there's a lot of different yep. ways to use a call, and it's not always just getting just as loud as you can get at them. Right, and I tell you, um, one of the things that I, I tell guys that are just kind of starting to get into it to to piggyback on what you said carlos about when to call you only know when to call when you know how to read the ducks and what they want to hear that day mm-hmm. um if you can't do that um you know i've seen guys where ducks are flying straight to the hole and they're just laying on them well get, i mean dude they're doing what you want them to do shut up <laughs> you know but if you can't look at birds and see how they respond to a call 
um, you've really you you you're missing a bigger part of the of the game, and that's learning how to read. Because until you learn how to read them, you don't know when to call them or what they want to hear. That's my two cents, anyway. Well, I think you'd be spot on there. And then the other thing is jerk strings. Always have a couple of them working. <laughs> That's right. Because you you got you can't use the spinner or the spinners any which I've never been a big fan of anyway. I mean, you know, I was military. Carlos was military. You know as well as I do. Anything with batteries like Murphy's Law, right? Anything that can fail will. You got something that runs on batteries, it's gonna break. Anything with a moving part is a weakness in the chain. That's why you always take a compass in the woods with you. Yes. And bring toilet paper so you can hang it on the tree and find your way out. <laughs> so so this year, I, I was sitting there trying to run the boat, and I had the GPS right up next to my Drake waders, and the magnet in the waders kept throwing me in a circle. <laughs> so... So Jake's in the boat. He's like, I think you're going in a circle. I'm like, no, I'm following this GPS. It says we're, oh, we haven't went anywhere. And he's like, you're going in circles, bro. (laughs) Yeah, man, when you rely, you know, one of the, so my thing was when I first started trying to navigate with GPS, and this is before the technology got to, that's before North was really North in these things. So you try and, find a point and you're like no it's pointing north it's yeah but bro north is behind you Uh uh-uh the gp and you take two steps and then north is behind you and then you go a step to the right and north's over here and then when i learn to take a compass okay and i look okay now that's pointing north and then i can orient my gps to the direct because we walk in a lot of places so then okay so now i know what trail i'm on because i know that this thing in my left hand is pointing at the direction that i really want to go in because if you just stand still the old gps's remember the ones when the mapping technology first came out like the first garments they would just spin and it's just like and you look at your track and it looks like a bowl of spaghetti because you walked over the same ground like 15 times because you didn't know what the hell direction north was in and so yeah it your little screen says north is up well just because you're holding it in that direction does not mean that's the direction that north is in guys i figured that out after spending almost a whole night in the woods trying to get out well thank goodness the gps you can lock north in now so your 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 map's not spinning all over the place if you lock your north in so that's that's a good thing on these new maps. Yeah, which uh, what GPS are you using? So we use Onyx up in North Dakota and Arkansas when we're hunting, um, yeah. trying to find land, and then we use Garmin Montana's mm-hmm. with with our chips to navigate the woods. Yeah, and I found that Onyx has just been a game changer for us. Oh, I mean, dude, that finding thing is people great. Call. I remember back in the day, you know, people up in North Dakota who wouldn't want to be bothered, they'd scribble their name and not put a phone number. But technically it's posted, so you still mm-hmm. have to call and hunt. But now, you know, there's no way of getting around not being able to find somebody's name and phone number to hunt their property. Yeah. That's the thing that I was really, really concerned with going up to to Canada because, like, Ryan, you and I were talking. You come down the southwest part of Louisiana and think you're going to go hunt rice fields and just go knock on a farmer's door? Negative. <laughs> 
That does not happen. Arkansas is the same way. Well, now, uh, if I correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but you have to have permission. You like before if if you go up in North Dakota and the, if it's not posted, you could hunt it. But now, even if it's not posted, you still have to call and get permission. It's in the process of being changed, but uh, it's looking like it's going to pass up there. That's the thing I was really worried about going to Canada is that knocking on doors and asking permission because you just don't do that down here. But like you, Ryan, you were telling me it's it's like it's really super I mean, easy to get to get on land up there, right? We have like a ninety eight percent success rate. That's crazy, man. But you know what's funny is that so they ask you two things. They ask you most of the time they don't want you driving in their field, sure, and then they ask us if we're from Minnesota. And if we say no, they automatically let us hunt it. Now, what's what's behind that? They don't want the the Canucks over there? I think they have so many people from Minnesota because, I mean, it's a bordering state, so they just drive over and hunt there all the time. Well, I mean, they don't have ducks in Minnesota? I mean, I I would assume they do, but, you know, North Dakota. A duck doesn't know where it is. Joey, I thought he was lying. I thought he was lying. And the first person, he lets me call the first person. He said, uh, so are you from what Minnesota? And I said, No, sir, I'm from Alabama. He said, Oh, you're good then. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So they've just got like a a serious problem with Minnesotans. They do. <laughs> I guess. I don't. Is know that what it is? is? Minnesota? Is it Minnesotans or Minnesotians? I, I don't know, but they're the oozers up there. They're definitely the oozers there. <laughs> And so, I mean, you can just legit drive around and glass stuff and see birds going down. And with Onyx, it's so easy now to figure out who owns that piece of property and to call them and say, hey, you know, we're here. Is it cool if we hunt in the morning? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's so much easier now than it was. You know, back in the day. You used to have to have the plat maps, right? Yeah. Those, well, they're the plot maps. And yeah. the, uh, and most of the time, like back then, unless unless it was very legible, we would just have to hunt plot lands or wildlife management areas. Um, but probably, I don't know, about five years ago, uh, we really started to kind of get into, you know, different methods and using phone books. And it just makes it a thousand times What's a phone now. book? I know, right? <laughs> I've heard of these things called phone books. <laughs> you think think about you, you have, you're on your phone driving around. Every piece of land is marked whose it is. Or you can go around trying to read milk jugs that are three years old. I mean. <laughs> they are legitimately milk jugs filled with salt. It's, it's pretty crazy. Really? Oh, what yeah. is that about? I, I don't know. I don't know if they're just tired of posting the same thing. I think they just pick them up and put them back out. Because the thing looks like it's been there for 20 years. Wait, so does a milk jug filled with salt mean no hunting? Absolutely well, not. Absolutely okay. not. So we found, we did find this guy that was, what was he from? Uh, North, uh, Northern California. Okay. All right. Well, I thought there was one guy from California we called on a milk jug and he let us hunt his land, but. <clears throat> oh, so the milk jug has like his digits on it. Absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. Oh, like okay. A posted sign on the milk jug. Oh. A cheap form of advertising. I mean. Would like a bleach bottle work the same? I mean, why is it kind of? It would work. Why milk jug? I don't know. (laughs) 
any particular kind of like skim milk or you know chocolate? I what th- if it's chocolate milk? Do they uh, shoot dark geese there? Or I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does the whole thing mean? I don't. I'm thinking about this milk jug full of salt now. I just can't put it together. I see. It's something you have to experience for yourself. What happens if I put a milk jug with salt out by my driveway? I mean, somebody comes knock on my door and want to. I don't know, man. <laughs> well, hey, listen. If if we're up there, we definitely will knock on your door if you have a milk jug in your driveway. <laughs> All right, I'm starting to figure out what it means now. It means salty milk. Um, how much when you guys make that trip? Because that's not like right around the corner. I mean, like Carlos, what part of Alabama you live in? Uh, North Alabama. So it's uh, three hours just or three and a half hours to Ryan's house. Okay. And then I think it was 18 hours for us, Ryan, once yeah, we got to your house. Yeah, it's about 18 hours from here. Oh, man, that's all. I mean, it it was like 23 for us going to Saskatchewan when we went. That's a haul. Dude, with an 18-foot decoy trailer. Yeah, Yeah. what, and what were your MPGs on that one? <laughs> I just turned it off. <laughs> yeah. I usually get, I usually go over there and I, I, I'll drive for the first 30 minutes and then I'll be like, hey, Ryan, if you could – if you could just let me nap for maybe 15 minutes, I'll drive for, you know, the next three hours. and then. Oh, you're that guy. Six oh, yeah. hours, 12 hours in. 12 hours later, I'm still driving. Look, yeah, sleep. let me tell you what, and Brian will attest to this when you guys meet him. I missed my calling. I should have been a long-haul truck driver because I can drive forever. We're not out of the driveway in Baton Rouge, and Brian's asleep. Everybody's asleep. <laughs> Uh, you know, next stop, they wake up, oh, we're crossing the border. Man, that didn't take long. Really? <laughs> you think it didn't take long? That or we got to stop for snacks every, you know, gas station. Hey, pull over and eat snacks. Man. But Ours I'm the driver monsters. of the group. <laughs> Ours is monsters. We stop. How many monsters do you think are in, consumed in that trip, Ryan? I think oh, my you gosh. single-handedly fund that business. <laughs> Dude, I never drank those. Like, I never uh, – just because I, I didn't believe the hype, right? But I had – I think I, I bought two or three Red Bulls. Like, by the time we were getting into Minot, I was done. <laughs> like That's a great town, too. It is. That's yeah. a cool little place. It's a, it's a cool, really cool place. I mean, I don't want to give out exactly where we go there, but it's not all that far away. And, like, that's kind of like the big town. If you're going to have a night out, that's the big town you go to. Before there's nothing oh, after that. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, because when we left Minot to cross the border um, in Portal, mm-hmm. which is – that's where we uh, cross is in North Portal. Um, dude, there was nothing. There, there. isn't. Nothing. But, so – I bought three Red Bulls, and I drank them back-to-back. And I was, like, on high-speed chicken feed, dude. I mean, it was I was seeing the Keebler Elves run across the road. <laughs> dude, it was crazy. <laughs> Keebler Elves, Ryan. Keebler Elves. That's right. <laughs> so, listen, we got a story about some Keebler Elves. So, uh, Ryan, we, we go to pick up some food at the grocery store before a hunt. One morning. It's like my favorite blind snack. And, uh, because my wife doesn't let me eat any of that stuff. 
again, not something to say on the podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she, she is definitely not going to listen to an hour and 40 minute podcast from me and you, Ryan. <laughs> you never know, man. <laughs> She's going to be digging for some information what's really going on. Um, but Ryan had picked up these this package of Keebler elves, and one of the guys on our crew, like we had went to bed in the cabin, and one of the guys ate his Keebler elves, and uh, <laughs> Ryan woke up, and we have not heard the end of that. I, I, I could see it in his face camper. that he's mad. I'm still, he's still irritated. mad. He's turning red, dude. I mean. You don't mess with the guy's blind. You're legitimately turning red. <laughs> just don't do it. You don't mess with the guy's blind snack. I've never seen Ryan just absolutely mad. I'm but seeing it now. <laughs> he is. He was definitely angry about some Keebler elves. <laughs> I got to watch that, man, because I was like this time last year, I was legit almost 300 pounds. Probably a little bit longer than last year. Um, and it's one of the things – I've started working out a lot. Um, I'm down to like 245 now. Um, That's awesome. Congratulations. And one of the – like the podcast we just did with uh, James Lancaster, he's up in Memphis by uh, by Ryan. You look at this dude's Instagram page and he's just a beast. I mean, he's a, just a freaking savage beast. Um but he's got the most interesting – like, he teaches CrossFit in the Shelby County Jail with, like, hardcore, legit killers. And he's like, man, these guys just, like, when we work out, they find something in common, and there's just this – he's never had an issue, never – but we, we talked a lot about um, just fitness in general because now I'm on this – this kick. I mean, I love getting in the gym and I love suffering in the gym. And, um, so I got to really watch what I bring in the blind to eat. Well, I think it's a, it's a, you know, duck hunting and, you know, fitness kind of do go hand in hand. And it's, I think during duck season, it's really tough to do because we're getting up so early. Yeah. We have families we have to spend time with. You know, Carlos was in the military. I used to run triathlons. So it's – Oh, really? Know, I did in my you know, a lot, or my early 20s. But uh, – You don't have to clarify, bro. It's I, I know. Good. It's tough. It's tough. You're uh, good, man. But it's, it's one of those things where I think it's a really hard balance. Oh, man, because uh, number one – like you said, when we, especially public ground hunting, the guys that can drive their quad up to the blind have no idea what we're talking about. Right. Um, I'm talking about being in line at 2 in the morning, 2.30, right, waiting for the 4 o'clock gun to go off. Now, if you're like us, in the spots that we hunted, we would take an ATV to a certain point where the trail kind of ends, and then you walk from there. And it was, like I said, 1.7 in and 1.7 out packing gear and the people that i would tell that i would actually lose weight during hunting season that didn't believe me that finally went with me they were like no way bro i can't i can't do it <laughs> it's impossible i can't i just i am not in shape to do it i loved it I mean, when people would start dragging behind, I'd find, you know, what made me find another gear is when you see headlights behind you that aren't part of your group, right? 
Like, Goche right. finds another gear when that happens. I mean, I look like Sasquatch. Because I'm a big dude, all right? I mean, I'm, I'm like 6'4", and, you know, I could sell shade in the summer. So, I'm a big dude to begin with. I have a stride that good luck keeping up if you're trying to beat me to the hole. That's right. Because if it comes down to walking, I'll beat you. I guarantee you. I'll run if I have to. Well, you said you hunted some Mississippi public timber, right? Yes. Well, they ride bikes. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Some do uh, during turkey season. They absolutely do. Really? Oh yeah, because they close uh, four wheeler ATV access after hunting season, so they ride bikes in. They ride my, my, now. It's gravel roads. And I ride them in the woods. Yeah. Um, I, I have def. I have been first in line in Mississippi. And been beat by a bu- by a bike, a sixteen year old kid on a bike, in the Delta, like around Yazoo City. Yep. How how embarrassing is that when you got a crew of guys that are high fiving? You know, you're running your boat. You just beat this guy with all these crazy lights, and you think you're something else. And then you pull up to the hole, and there's a sixteen year old on his bike with a headlamp. Somebody knew the terrain better than you did, and, and a little basket, like a basket, like. For Toto, he has one decoy on the handlebars. No, but he has he has one decoy in that basket, and he throws the little tassels hanging from the handlebar, like little camo tassels. But when you when you pull up, that guy gets gets out of his little basket with a smirk and takes the decoy and throws it right right where you're going. I've been that guy before. Maybe we should take that one out of the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was Mississippi. That didn't matter. That was an old that, – that was a different day, different time. Hey, I wanted to ask you about um, Biomita because one of the places there that I was, like, super interested in was that walk-in access spot. I guess it's on the north – is it on the north side? Yeah, that's government. That's government. Okay, okay. Is that productive? I mean, do a lot of guys hunt that? Does that get a lot – I mean, I imagine that whole place gets a lot of pressure. But Yeah, that, that's a really good place late season. Really? For sure, okay. yeah. Seemed like it would be. I mean, there's I just, a way I'm, to walk in there, and then there's a way to boat in and then walk. Yes, yeah. So I think we found that way because we went, if I remember it right, there's a, a bayou that kind of goes around to maybe the east or maybe the – it goes around the side of it, and then it looked like you can kind of get up on the levee and then walk in. That's right, yeah. yeah. That's what most okay. people do. Okay. It looked like a cool place. It definitely is. I don't want to definitely go into any details because I'll get my throat cut. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's some great spots over there for sure. But, I mean, you know, that spot is just as good as any other. It just depends on when the birds want to use it or not. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, I can say, all right, so the National Wildlife Refuge that I was talking about in Mississippi is called Panther Swamp. Now, am I giving anything away? No. because. No. I I hunt the same tree, like left foot, right foot. I know where I'm standing by the exact tree that I want to hunt, and I mean, good luck finding it. But I mean, there's a hundred other spots that are just productive or more so than the spot that I hunt. It just depends on water levels and do they want to use that particular part of the woods or not. Well, Carlos and I talk about this all the time. Is that you know, especially in Biomeda, everybody's so secretive about everything but with today's technology and onyx maps and our garments that we use there really isn't that many secrets no and everybody knows the same spots 
Absolutely. Well, you you'll be telling them, "Oh, what hole are you going to?" And you say, uh, "Atlanta Falcons uh, hole," yeah, yeah. and they're like, "Oh, yeah, well, we're going to Green Bay." And then you get to the hole, and I thought you said you were going to Green Bay. This is Green Bay, man. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you you get that all the time. I mean, there's no secrets. If you do your work, you're going to find those holes, right? Um, because that's where the ducks are going to want to be. I mean, you do your work. I mean, there, like Ryan said, there's no secrets. There's no secrets left. And we had a buddy. Um, I talked about him earlier. His name's David Cherry. He's been hunting those woods longer than I have. And he'll tell you, when I first met him, he hated me. And that's because they they, they didn't want other people in their group. No. Now it's a little different. You know, the secrets are out, and whoever's your friend can help you scout. Yeah, yeah. So that I mean, we're pretty selective, the productive people that scout for a real, right, right? And then the people are just looking for a free meal ticket. I mean, obviously we're pretty selective on who we let go hunt with us, but yeah, I I definitely think involving people helps out in our game. It does. I mean, you just especially like I was, and I don't know where you where you guys fall down on the Delta DU debate. Doesn't matter. Um, but I was the Delta uh, chairman for our committee here for, uh, I don't know, 10, 8, 9, 10 years, something like that. And one of the biggest things that I was really passionate about was getting new people involved um, in the sport, especially uh, kids. Like all of my kids, all of my girls have duck hunting with me. Um, my oldest daughter is just a savage with a 243 and a doe. Um I mean, she can ground check just about anything from any distance. Um, but the one thing that I tell guys that are trying to get into or that are just interested in duck hunting now is you really have to, number one, temper your expectations and really define what you would call success. Like we had a successful morning. Uh, most guys, if they don't limit and if they don't shoot nothing, if they only if they don't shoot anything but green, it wasn't a successful morning. Um, well, I hate to tell people now, but if that's how you define success, like if you don't do that, it was a wasted morning, you're in it for the wrong reason. You're, you're going to be disappointed more times than, than, than you can possibly imagine. Um, it, it, it's just strange. one of those things where you really need to focus on the entire experience and realize that you're seeing something that the rest of the world that decided to sleep in is not seeing and why it's important. And guys that get it will stick with it. And guys that don't, they'll go find something else to do. They'll drive their jacked up trucks that dad bought for them with the big stickers in the back window. They'll go do something else. So where do you fall on the whole, on the whole debate where, you know, people think that this whole duck dynasty craze has just brought so many new hunters to the sport and we just have way too many duck hunters i mean i'm sure you've heard that a million times we have i'm sure every other duck hunter has as well well i can tell you that the duck stamp numbers don't show that there's that many more duck hunters that's right unless they're outlawing so mm-hmm. you you talk about that and i will like i love to get in this debate because ryan brings it up and like the duck stamps don't show it um obviously what were the numbers, Ryan? What were you saying about uh, in, 30 in years 1970, ago? In 1970, there were a little over 2 million duck hunters. 
I mean, I think last year was the first time since like 1997 where it crept over a million. Just around 1.5 is the, I actually looked this up for a podcast we did a couple of days ago, and I think it was around 1.5 because the debate was when they raised the price from, was $15 to 25 mm-hmm. for the federal stamp. Oh, you're going to kill the sport. Nobody's going to buy duck stamps. Nobody. Well, no, they actually sold about the same amount, and I think it was around 1.5 million. That may have been 2017. Yeah, I think. But for the question of oh, does duck die now? And all you know, candor. I've I've known Phil for a while. Um, you know, we're not like I can't call him on the phone, but. You know, we we run into each other a different thing. Um, has that show brought more people into the sport? I don't know. It probably drove as many people out as it brought in. So the net net is about the same. If you're looking at duck stamp numbers, that is. And I, I think that, you know, when you get in all this talk, I think the main issue is that with the Duck Dynasty – um, what they call the Duck Dynasty crowd, people stopped caring to teach these kids and the people getting in this sport how to hunt right. So hmm. that I think that's the problem. So you got these guys that do know how to duck hunt, but they're not willing to help these guys that are trying to get in the sport learn how. It's it's all about them. Yeah, you know, it's all about us. How many ducks we kill. Well, and you and see it on social, on social media, media too. too. And then you're getting in the hole, and then these guys are shooting swing ducks. Yeah. It's because somebody didn't teach them how to be have duck hunters etiquette. Let's just put it how it is. I well, mean, yeah, and I think years like we just had, those guys aren't going to be around long. The ones that are in it to say, "Look at me, I'm a duck killer. I'm a savage. I'm you know, I'm all painted up and ready to go, and I'm ready." You know. Look at me on social media, the Mallard pinwheel. Those guys aren't around. They, you go through a couple of lean years like this, those guys aren't going to be around long. But I, I think – I but I, I I really do think that it's – I mean, obviously, Phil has done a lot for, for the duck hunting community also because, I mean, dollars go a long ways. Mm-hmm. So you have to raise money. And you have to think conservation at some point as a duck hunter. If you're a true duck hunter, you have to think about conservation. And the more people that we have, that those duck stamps go into conservation. Yeah, the one the one issue that I have with that <clears throat> is so devil's advocate, right? Um, if if con- well, let me say so if conservation organizations in general just organically or whatever if they were as focused on providing opportunities for me to kill ducks as they were as saving ducks and building sanctuaries and refuges where I can't go where all the ducks go now um I would be a lot more pro duck stamp money DU, Delta, uh, because here, here's the bottom line. In the And I can only speak about what I see in Louisiana. So the marsh that we used to hunt, it's called Delacro, 
and Hopedale and Regio. So there's three places that are kind of the same southeast of New Orleans. Um, great red fishing, by the way. The, the marsh there, so in Louisiana, we lose about a football field size area of land every 24 hours from coastal erosion, right? Mm-hmm. And so where we used to have blinds and where we used to lease property and have little islands and, and potholes, not potholes, but little duck ponds that we call them that we'd hunt in the marsh, that's open water. That's Gulf of Mexico now, and it's never coming back, okay? I have not seen, and if somebody knows, shoot me an email and tell me I'm full of shit, okay? But I have yet to see any of those conservation organizations spend a penny to stop the or help stop the coastal erosion problem that we have in Louisiana, and it has killed. If you look at a map of the state, you have the southwestern part of the state that I told you if you go ask permission, you'll get shot. Uh, that's all rice fields, flooded agriculture, controlled water, um, flooded rice, super, super expensive, but they kill a lot of ducks there, and they kill a bunch of speckle belly geese there. And then you have the Mississippi River, the mouth of the Mississippi River, kill, will always kill ducks. It's just a, it's a funnel, a flyway that they, they follow. But the marsh in between that, which is where we used to hunt. Then you have the Atchafalaya River that kind of splits that in half. Wax Lake, they still kill a few birds there. But the, 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 the kind of the satellite marshes between there, there's nothing. There, I, we can go sit in a blind and wait and wait, and you may hear a couple of shots here and there where we used to just bang on the widgeon and teal and gray ducks. Thank God for gray ducks because if we didn't have gray ducks, we wouldn't have a season down here. Um, but you may hear a couple of shots and then you load up the boat pissed off and drive by three refuges on the way home that are stacked. I mean, you can walk across them. Now you tell me why am I going to donate and duck stamps is a whole nother thing. I need to have that to hunt. So I don't look at that as a donation. If they told me I didn't have to have a duck stamp to hunt, you know, there would be a moral, I'd have to have a moral conversation with myself, but as far as donating money to organizations that are going to build refuges and sanctuaries and everything else, you can get a dollar from me because you have altered the flyway now. The, the birds don't go where they used to go because now they can sit on these refuges and sanctuaries and stay there all winter. Right. So why not – okay, this is redneck river, river at logic, okay? Why not rotate some of those refuges? Like, hey, you know, out of this – this uh, sanctuary system of five, you can hunt this one this year and then this one over here next year and then this one over here. Then you, you, you still have the you still have the, the property and the sanctuary and the you know the, the conservation aspect of it is still alive. But at some point you have to ask the question, look guys, are, are you in it for me to continue hunting or are you trying to conserve wetlands and ducks for some other purpose? I'd really like somebody to answer that for me. Yeah. I, I wonder what numbers, like, obviously I think they'd be worried about the duck numbers if they opened up those um, refuge. But I, I'm, a, I, I, I'm totally on the same page with you on, on rotation. Maybe, you know, for a couple of years you open this one and close it back down and then go to the other one. 
two years, but some of these refuges have to be hunted. Because here, even in Alabama, we have Wheeler right here down the street, and you can you can walk across those ducks there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so what other I, – I, and again, that's me breaking it down to its most simple component, right? But what other purpose does a mallard duck have than making a gumbo for me? I'm not saying kill them all, but I mean, come on, guys. At some time, at some point, somebody's got to say, okay, we can't have as many refuges all over the place where we don't allow any hunting, and still expect people to continue to try and hunt, knowing that they're going to have a, a crappy season, because oh, I mean, I the refuge down the street is holding them all. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, I truly believe those organizations' entire mission are to, you know, increase the duck numbers and to preserve wetlands and to acquire even more. And I think that's all we're going to start seeing in the future. But to what end? I mean, what good is that? I, I, I get it, but I, I like to kill and eat ducks. And so is that, in the, if you look at the, the end result of the game, is that helping me any? I haven't seen it. I, I think that's, that's a question for Ryan's buddies. <laughs> The, the politicians, you know, because there's got to be something that's changed. And, and then so then how do you square, but I can go to Mexico or I can go to Argentina and I can, I can have a field. That, how come, so what, are they not worried about conservation? They're like, where's the balance there? I can go to Canada and shoot a whole lot more than I can here. So what, there's just too many th- too many parts of the equation where I'm adding one plus one plus one and I ain't getting three. You're right. Uh, you know, and somebody I think would that's a, tell me. I think that's a situation where your our money has worked against us to a certain point. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I've had the uh, I've had the conversation with a couple of hardcore DU guys and a couple of hardcore Delta guys and. You know, they couldn't be more opposed to their strategies, and I guess their their missions really aren't the same. Um, I, I get, you know, I get hanging on to wetlands, and it's important. But at some point, are you doing that so that I can kill ducks and keep sending you money, or? Is it, uh, That's is it exactly money? what it is. It's all about. It all comes down to money now. Everything does. Now, do you hunt in Alabama? You mentioned Wheeler. Do you hunt in Alabama much? or? I have a, a private farm here in Alabama that we hunt. Um, there's some public grounds that occasionally can get good. Um, but, like, they say the duck numbers or the duck population of hunters is just overwhelming, and it is because these spots that you can go, you'll go and kill one or two ducks on public land here. And back in the day, they were killing, you know, 30, 40. Yeah. You know, you you go out with a group of guys, and you could could stack them over here in Alabama. Right, right. Well, how about the Eastern Flyway going to one one goose? And how much sense does that make? I don't know. I I mean, like we were talking about the numbers. Uh, It... I talked to the a while back the guy who kind of runs the wildlife and fisheries Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries, you know, kind of their waterfowl division. And what he told me is that the duck 
limits, the numbers are based on an average kill per hunter per day. And so the average per kill, and this was a while back, so it may have changed some, but the average kill per hunter per day is like, I don't know, just under three ducks, like 2.7 or 2.8 ducks per person. And that's how they manage that average. So, Carlos, to your point, where what would the duck number, what would happen to the duck numbers if um, we started rotating these refuges and really killing a bunch? Let me tell you what would happen. So, if the average starts getting over three, 3.5, that's when they back the limit down. Then you won't have six. You'll have, you know, four. And so, it's it's a, it's a net zero-sum game, uh, you know, just – I'm not a big conspiracy guy, but when things don't make sense, they don't make sense. <laughs> I just I don't know, you know, other way to put it. You're never going to make everybody happy. You know, you talk about rotating. No, I just those. want somebody to make me happy. Absolutely, I don't care about everybody else. <laughs> you you rotate those refuges, and then you piss off the people with private ground that are making all this money. You know, leasing that land. Because the numbers, I mean, your numbers will go up as a as a hunter. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to kill birds again because they won't have those certain places that they just go and sit all the time. Yeah, they won't be, imp- uh, you know, they're imprinting them now. So That's right. You know, a duck leaves Canada and lands in Bayou Sauvage Wildlife Refuge just east of New Orleans and doesn't know that they're they never get shot at doesn't know that there's any other place on the planet because they go to and from the same exact potholes year after year after year after year that's the most amazing thing to me and you talk so you talk about evolution and birds evolve to learn this or that so wait a minute what you're telling me is that a duck had to learn to fly back to the same exact ditch that it was hatched in Right, like God didn't create that, right? Uh-huh. It had to learn. You talk about getting his north, south, east, and west messed up. He didn't have no GPS either. But somehow the bird just knows where to go. It goes back to the precise pond that it was nested in. And you tell me that if it goes down and flies to Bayou Sauvage and it hits refuge, to it bounces from refuge to refuge all the way down, if we have the winter, right, um, gets all the way down and lands in Bayou Sauvage and doesn't hear a gunshot and goes back up north, you think it's going to go someplace else? No, that's 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 imprinted. That's where it's going year after year. Yeah, and then you got people that want to talk about heated ponds. That that right there is something that you want to talk about. You're putting all your money into DU. You're putting all your money into the Delta. And they're the ones holding your birds in these refuges. Yeah, which I yeah, and and I can tell you that seeing where Delta the it it raises a fraction of the money that DU does. Right. So different way of thinking about it. So if we want to impact nest success, so that we can shoot them when they fly south, the best place we could probably put most of that money is in the prairie pothole region. Right, because we if they here's here's one you folks listening at home if they don't hatch they don't fly south. <laughs> it's profound, but uh, you know that's a, a basic truth. Um, 
most of the kind of off-limit places, refuges, sanctuaries that I've seen have been DU projects. Oh, they have. And there's there's a huge battle in the prairie region, such as North Dakota, with these farmers. They hate Ducks Unlimited. You know, mm-hmm. they're not happy with Ducks Unlimited coming in and, and buying buying this farmland. No, but that's exactly – you just hit it, dude. The farmers hate it. Yeah. The far, they What the farmers really liked in, in Canada was the ALICE program, the alternate land use mm-hmm. uh, program that Delta came out with. And basically what it said was this, we don't want your farm, we don't want your land, but we know that there are there are spots in this farm where you get marginal yield from, right? Because it's wet, it stays wet, um, it, it's switchback grass, and it's just, it's difficult to farm. So how about we subsidize you, Joe Farmer, for this one strip of land along this, this wetland that Leave it alone. Don't bail it. Don't do. Keep running your farm, right? But leave this because this is where birds nest. And so what they found was instead of just trying to go out and buy land, you can't buy all the land. It's it's physically and financially impossible. And that's what the farmers don't like is groups coming in and saying we're going to buy your property from you or this is we're going to pay you to do this with your land, right. dude. You know those farmers are like, oh, you think you are? Let me tell you what's not going to happen. I'll burn it before you guys lay a finger on it. Yep. And so what? What? And look, I, I'm not, I'm not involved in any of that stuff anymore. I'm just saying what the what the data says is Delta's approach in putting their money in prairie pothole regions, and they're at their alternate land use Alice A L U S alternate land use survey that they put in place. It was kind of like our WRP, CRP here in the States. Right. Um, but looking at sections that farmers were getting marginal yield from to begin with, maybe they were just breaking even on this one 10-acre spot that just stays wet. Uh, maybe there's an alternate land use for that. And they went to the table with the farmers to see is, is there a way that we can work together rather than trying to shove these programs down their throat through Parliament? Right. And they were a lot more successful because of it. Sounds like a really good program. Yeah, I don't know where it is now. It's been a, it's, it's, it's been a while since, uh, since I, I'm going to have to look that up. Maybe I should have done that before I started talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably would have been a good idea. I mean, it sounded good. I mean, I believed you. Well, I know that was the, when I was running the chapter. That was that was true. That and we got to keep uh, a percentage of everything that the chapter raised during our banquets. We kept it locally um, to promote hunting prod. You know, new hunter recruitment in our own backyards with like people that we knew, families that we knew. So I was, like that. Yeah, it a was. Lot. It was yeah, it was a good program, and and it made us it made us work a lot harder to raise money when we knew that we were keeping some of it here. It, yeah, it really, for sure. It, it was a good. It, it's a, and I know they still do that. That's a good. Program. I've been a big DU guy for uh, since I was about twenty two. So I don't think there's been a dollar that has went back to the community that's been raised here. Really, I really don't. I mean, uh, I don't see any DU projects at Swan Creek in North Alabama. 
I really don't. And uh, you're right. Like those pothole regions, just like the CRPs in Arkansas. I mean, that really does help. Yeah, it's proven. Yep, it's it is. It's proven. Yep. And, and I guess my message to God, look, I've got a limited, and I said this on the other on another podcast I did. You guys are like me. We have a limited, except for Ryan. He worked for the federal government, so he's got a lot of money. Um, <laughs> we, we, we've got. <laughs> turn he calls you out, bro. Yeah, right. He calls you out. out. Somebody <laughs> took his seat. earnings. Got him. <laughs> got him. Um, we we have a limited amount of money that we can donate to projects, right? Um, and all I tell guys is. You want to join DU, that's fine. Just under read the annual report, figure out where the money goes, and does their mission and strategy of how to spend your money, does that line up with your goals and what you want to see out of hunting? Are, for every dollar spent, how many more ducks do I get to shoot? Because that's what I'm interested in. If I'm interested in 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 wetland conservation and that's my primary like i don't care if they raise another duck on it i just i want to see wild uh you know wild places and and i don't want to see concrete parking lots and hey i get that too and if that's what i'm interested in how much concrete are you guys preventing being poured over this wetland where birds can use when they when they migrate i may not care about killing a bird i just so happens that i do i want to kill a bunch of them so I'm going to look and see what organization uses my money in alignment with where I want to be. And so many guys will join an organization because they get a cool sticker to put on their truck. Yeah, and, or you know, I've been a part of DU, like I said, since I was 22. They think of strategic ways to get people in there. Um, you have casino night, crawfish broils, and I mean, it, it's geared towards one thing, making money. Yeah. Delta's the same way. Where is that money going is more important than my steak dinner that night. That's right. That's right. And that's all I'm telling guys to look into is look at their website what does their website say look at the tagline on the web the one thing that attracted me to delta is they were always they were blue collar guys they were always very upfront about we made no apologies for that yeah we want to raise ducks so that we can shoot ducks and if you don't like that probably not the organization for you but yeah, you know what? In, in certain parts of the country where it's not these big, huge, expansive uh, wetlands and potholes that are full of water, if it's marginal places where nest success is really, really impacted by predators, yeah, we're going to trap skunk and we're going to trap fox and we're going to kill them because skunks eat eggs and foxes eat hens. And I would rather eat that hen than the fox. And we don't apologize. PETA didn't like it. I don't give a rat's ass what PETA likes because PETA is not aligned with my goals whatsoever. So they can go pound sand. I would actually argue we have more respect for that animal than a person from PETA does. Oh, oh, one million percent. Yeah. One million percent. 
it, it's all about an agenda. I mean, they're eco-terrorists to begin with. So That's right. There. I said it. That's right. When I met my father-in-law, he told me he never, he doesn't trust anybody that doesn't eat meat and doesn't drink. Roger that. <laughs> I like, I, I've ate dinner with this guy. I like him. That's, that's words to live by, man. How much do you, uh, Ryan, how much do you miss hunting like the chest, like big water, you, you know, know, divers? and It has, it definitely has a special place to me. But the first time, I mean, the first time I came down here and oh, saw dude, I saw a duck break through the trees, I was sold. Like I yeah, was sold I right then and there. I probably would have given up. Every experience I have in Chesapeake to have more experiences down here. I think it's just the experience of being there and you're on such hollowed ground. Yeah. Right? Just the, the heritage of, and especially you walk through the, the decor museum. Carlos, you ever been up there and been in that decor museum? I haven't had the chance oh. to go in. Oh, man. It, it's like stepping in a time machine. And... Yeah, it's one of the things I've been saying lately is I wish I was more interested in history when I was younger and in school than I find it fascinating now. Um, but the the history and the heritage and how those guys did stuff and it's it's just amazing to me. Um, you know, there's some there's some big money things in that uh, museum and there's some big money things that that museum wish they had in it. Yeah. Right. And I have right, one Ryan? Of them. <laughs> right. Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I have, I have a, uh, an old etching and, and painting of the, the old timer decoy makers with a, with a map of the flats, the Susquehanna flats, which is known as, you know, the Chesapeake Bay. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, I, I wouldn't, I told my wife I want to be buried with that thing. Right on. <laughs> After she listens to this podcast, man, you may get your wish. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> she might dig the hole for you. Uh, there's a good. Po- I need her a lot more than she needs me. <laughs> I n- I know you've been eating those Keebler elves when you've been gone, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, but that uh, that place up there, there's just something. Uh, and maybe just because it's different. I mean, I, I think it kind of held the same type of fascination for me as going to Canada did. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get there, and it's it was, you know, it was cool. But there's just so much heritage and history there that it should, there's a couple of museums up there. There's the Hever de Grace, and what's the other one? There's there's a, I didn't know there was another one. Yeah, there's another duck call um Oh well, poor show prep. I'll blame I mean, on that. The 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 call museum is, is here in Memphis. No, no, no. There's another museum up there that uh, maybe it's not a call museum. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. But you that's funny. That's funny. That's funny though. How calls? How so many? Like, like I said, the decoys up there, like up in that Chesapeake Bay region. Like that holds the fascination up there, and then you come down here and it's all custom. Con- which, you know, if you're turning a barrel and sticking an echo insert in it, it's not a custom call. I hate to tell you, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because there's so many quote unquote custom call makers out there. Um, that's that's right. Have you ever seen uh, Have you ever seen Josh Raggio's calls? Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, Josh is a really, really good friend of mine. We've shared a tree in Panther Swamp a couple of times. And um, that dude does it. He does the whole thing front to back while you sit there and watch him. He's got such a cool thing. Have you seen his mobile call shop? I have not. He's got a trailer that he'll bring to different places um, with all of his tools in it, all of his supplies to turn calls, and he'll turn calls for you. Right, they're like out of his mobile calling, and wow. he'll tune them for you. He'll give you. I mean, that that guy is just on. Josh is just on a different level of custom call makers. He's another guy that truly appreciates the the heritage and the history and the whole nine yards of it. Um, he's really got something special going on. Is he out of Louisiana? No, he's uh, he's from Mississippi. Mississippi, okay. Yeah, he's um, he and I have hunted the same same little patch of woods for a while. It's been too long though. But he's he he makes some beautiful. If you get a chance to look at Raggio Custom Calls on Instagram, he's got some some beautiful beautiful stuff. Sounds like it. Wow. What did we forget? What else did we want to talk about? Because two hours in, and I feel like now we're just getting ready. Now we're just getting warmed up. Just getting started. Carlos is like, I want to go to bed. Shoot, man, I got up at uh, about 4 o'clock this morning. See, I told you he wanted to go to bed. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm you always tired, trying to go bro. to sleep, man. Listen. You look, you look real tired. Listen, y'all take it for 15 minutes, so I'll be good. <laughs> just like you driving the truck going to North Dakota, huh? Yeah, we'll wake uh, up at 7 a.m. How's that, how's that podcast? Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> um, well, if we think we've covered everything, I think it's been a good conversation, man. Uh, Had a I good time. Really it appreciate fun. you having us on. Yeah, man, we're um, going to have to have you on again. Yeah, definitely. We'd love to do it again. And, uh, you know, it's it's always great meeting and talking to like-minded people in the duck world yeah it's hard to beat i think the one thing that we want to do with this podcast because we're going to talk about a a lot of different things i mean a couple of days i'm going to have you know ammunition man ammunition manufacturers on i have nick from apex on i'm gonna have brian from uh from retay on mm-hmm. um you know guys that their passion is cooking, guys that their passion is fitness, uh, their faith is real important to them. What we'd really want to do with this podcast is just so, you know, if, if we can set aside the bullshit and the noise for just a second, I think we'll find out that we've got a lot more in common than we actually knew or thought. Um, and man, that's a lesson for the world. If we can just stop for a second and put aside the petty crap I think we'll find that we got a lot of common ground between us. And instead of focusing on what we disagree on, man, let's highlight the things that we that we get down on and we share. Uh, yeah. We feel the same way about. So, yeah, I I couldn't agree. I think on Instagram the other day we put a post up, and I really do believe in you know saying less and just doing more. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I try to do it every I, I day. I did that. Uh, you definitely didn't do it. No, okay. No, no. No, no you we did. did it. Okay, did. yeah. I we thought did. you said I did. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, no, no, no. That sounds way too cool for me to something, for me to come <laughs> up with. 
Well, guys, we're going to wrap it up. Um, tell everybody how they can uh, how they can find you guys on on Instagram and any other uh, places that you guys may reside. Yeah, we uh, our Instagram is uh, the Timber Show. Uh, we're we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Also, is the Timber Show. Uh, we'll be coming out with a website here shortly, and uh, you know, stay tuned. We'll uh, be putting out some uh, some really cool videos this fall. Yeah, don't uh, don't forget about you do, Ryan. You do. Uh, we're all, that's right. We're also on uh, you do. Uh, oh, cool! At, at the Timber Show. Cool. It's a cool, cool. new platform. Carlos, what about uh, what about the kennels, man? You got anything, any digits or anything you can share on that? No, not yet. Um, we're going to be putting that. That'll be through our YouTube channel. So okay. everything that we do f- through the kennels will be put on YouTube. Okay. And uh, let's share a tree this year, man. Absolutely, we'd love to. Um, we got to get you up to to buy a meter with us, and we won't blindfold you. We'll give you a pass. Uh, dude, you don't have to blindfold me. I'll never find it again. Trust me. <laughs> I know. It's because you have a mud motor. <laughs> no, I don't anymore. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Anyway, guys, it's been uh, it's been good. Um, it's been a great conversation. Uh, check these guys out. Timber Show on Instagram. Um, super solid stand-up guys. And uh, can't wait to talk to you guys again. Y'all have a good night. You too. You too, buddy. You too. Thank you. So that's it. That's our show for tonight. Man, we covered some content. Great guests. That's a, that's the great thing about duck hunting, waterfowling hunting, waterfowling hunting, waterfowl hunting, is all the great people that you meet along the way, and just the friendships and camaraderie and relationships that you build along the way in places that you really never expect to see it, uh, never expect to see those flourish. So, big thanks to uh, Ryan and Carlos of the Timber Show again. If you guys have not checked that Timber Show on Instagram. What are you waiting for? I would have thought that by now, by the end of the show, you would have already gone there and followed him. If you haven't done that yet, take your little finger, go to Instagram, find the Timber Show, click follow. You'll love their site. Really, really cool stuff. Uh, Again, want to thank our sponsor for this session of the No Limits Waterfall Podcast, Rite Arms. Again, if you guys are looking, you don't have to spend a ton of money to get a really, really beautiful shotgun. Uh, like I said, for either waterfowl, upland, turkey, home defense, competition, Rite has it covered. And go over to their site, check their site out. Really beautiful wood, natural walnut uh, grains and stocks, fully synthetic stocks, camo additions, just everything that a waterfowler could hope to find. They have it there. Rite arms one of the finest shotguns we have ever shot once again thanks for joining us um new show is going to be coming out soon hope that uh you guys will click the subscribe button follow us subscribe to us uh and catch us on the next show until then this is the no limits waterfall podcast we're signing off and we hope to see you again soon see ya